Good morning. I got up really early this morning to prepare, and uh, so I've preached once. Not used to doing that, so I'm a little sleepy. Uh, so if I get more sleepy, I may smack myself in the face. And if you nod off, I want to give you the freedom just to smack yourself in the face as hard as you can. Have at it. Okay. Well, let's begin. Skip Isaac tells the story of a woman that for many years couldn't sleep because she worried that her home would be broken into by a burglar. Day after day and week after week, month after month and year after year, for a number of years, she had this plaguing thought. Well, finally, one evening, she and her husband heard a noise downstairs, so her husband got up, made the journey downstairs, and of course, can you guess, there was a, was a burglar. And so her uh, husband looks at him and says, hey, would you mind coming upstairs with me? Uh, my, my wife's been waiting 10 years to meet you. <laughs> you see, the, the burglar of, uh, a burglar can steal from you once, but the burglar of anxiety can steal from you for decades. Now, turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 6 and 7 in just a moment. And uh, I want to talk to you today about one of the greatest struggles we have, and that's anxiety. Anxiety is a thief. It steals your peace. It steals your hope. It can rob you of your confidence and your joy. In uh, 1947, a poet named W.H. Auden wrote the, the, the poem, The Age of Anxiety. And in, at that time, those that studied anxiety said it was like it ushered in this new time of angst in America because of where we were in World War II and post-World War years with an atomic bomb and the Cold War and things like that. And the, the way information would travel so much more quickly. And suddenly America is in the midst of this idea of what if that happens to us? Well, we live today in a world where the list of what if those possibilities in our world are much longer than they've ever been. Fear and anxiety uh, are similar, but not the same. Uh, when our oldest daughter, Molly, was three years old and my wife, Pam, was pregnant with, with Jake, she was eight months pregnant, and they were at the pool. And Pam was standing in knee-deep water, and she looks across the deep end just in time to see Molly's head go underwater. And so, have you ever tried to run in knee-deep water? Have you ever tried to run in knee-deep water pregnant? It's on my bucket list, basically. <laughs> Eyewitnesses said that it was like her feet didn't touch the water that she went so fast, that she reached Molly, pulled her out of the water, just at the same time that the lifeguard had gotten there who was sitting nearby. And people just asked, how did she do that? How did she move so quickly? Well, we're blessed in the way God designed us with an autonomic nervous system that our biochemical makeup will just suddenly just 
have the spurt of energy. And it's like our, our pupil, pupils narrow and our, our heart rate goes up. And we have this surge of energy that we're able to, to, to make decisions like that. And so without thinking, she was there. And she rescued Molly. Now, fear is a wonderful thing in some, some ways. Uh, fear, it can be very constructive when it's related to something specific and something that is important to us. Now, anxiety uh, is different. Fear is more like a thunderstorm that crashes through and makes the, the branches uh, go, go crazy and the, the uh, lawn furniture rolls across the yard and then uh, the sun comes out and everything's over. Well, anxiety is like a cold drizzle. It's 40 degrees and raining. And uh, this type of anxiety that has a person always agitated, always restless, always a little bit scared. And it's like the accumulation of life stressors uh, has turned on that internal uh, autonomic nervous system. But it doesn't turn off. It just stays on. You're hypervigilant that something is going to go wrong. This is often the case in anxiety. Um, I, I deal with anxiety a lot. I may be alone in this room. Probably not. Uh, and some of you are thinking that I'm not an anxious person. You're thinking that I'm an even-keeled person and, uh, and I just don't worry about much. And uh, sometimes, and maybe even most of the time, anxiety has a way of bleeding over into other powerful emotions. Like, you may experience anxiety, uh, and in, in, in your temperament, you may get angry and get very controlling because that anxiety has provoked you to move that direction. Or you may be more of, you may get more passive. You may want to, I can't control it, so I'm not going to even try. And some of you may go in the direction of, uh, oh, man, it's my fault. It's always my fault. I messed up. I'm worthless. And some of you may go in the other direction and go uh, out of sort of a touch of arrogance. And so that you, go, you kind of go, you know, I'm, you know, I'm feeling uncertain. But let me explain to you how awesome I am. Uh, and if you missed my conversation yesterday, I, I have a PDF I can send you that can cover all my list of accomplishments. <laughs> See, those things kind of bolster us. We sort of respond to anxiety in different ways. Now, what we're going to look at today is at two of the most significant verses in the New Testament that deal with mental health. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 reads, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and, and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul tells us we have a problem, anxiety. And he tells us how to handle it. And what I wanted to do today is tell you how I am applying these verses in my life. The word for anxiety is the Greek word merimnao. And merimnao appears in the New Testament 19 times. 
So when Paul said, I want you to be without care in 1 Corinthians 7, he's using that word. When Jesus speaks to Martha in Luke 10, she was very distracted and busy because Jesus was visiting their house and Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. And Jesus looked at her and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. There's that word again. And when Jesus said in Matthew 6:25, do not worry about your life, he follows up that, that word and says it again five more times in chapter 6. So the word marinaho comes from two Greek words that merge together. You have marizo, which means to tear, to separate, or to divide. And you have the word naus, which means the mind. So anxiety in the scriptures literally means to divide the mind. And it's, that's an apt description, isn't it, for what anxiety is. Anxiety is when your mind is divided between legitimate thoughts and destructive thoughts. Anxiety takes your mind in different directions. It tears your mind. James put it this way, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Forty million Americans suffer from some form of anxiety disorder. That's 18% of all, of all American adults. That's a lot of people. Uh, in the last three decades, anxiety disorders have jumped more than 1,200%. And psych- psychologist Robert Leahy says that the average high school student today has the same level of anxiety as, an av- as the average psychiatric uh, patient in the 1950s. Mental health professionals say that Today, anxiety on college campuses is epidemic. Now, if you have children, uh, how does that strike you? Does that provoke any anxiety? (laughs) Now, I think that we are living in a time where these verses are, are... the most relevant than they ever have been in history. Uh, These verses really speak to our culture. The United States experiences as much anxiety, the perception of what's going on in my life that's creating anxiety, than many of the most dangerous countries you'll ever go to. I went to the Safe Traveler website, and you plug in, here's where I live, and here's where I want to go. So I, I plugged in the Central African Republic, and it figures it out, it comes back, and it basically said, do not go to the Central African Republic. because, And they had this list of dangers, homicide, kidnapping, boom, 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 boom. Now here's the thing, is that their stress level, their anxiety level, is about the same is what we experience in the United States. I mean, what what's going on with us? Why why is that? And Joseph Galway, who's an expert on this topic, in his research, it's interesting. He said that uh, 85% of the things we worry about never happen. He said that of the 15% that did happen, 79% of the people found that they could handle the difficulty better than they thought they could. Or the difficulty 
taught them lessons that were worth learning. That almost sounds biblical. So he concluded that the 97% of what you worry about is just a fearful mind punishing you with exaggerations and misconceptions. So Paul says, be anxious for nothing. But our exaggerated perception of the world we live in and the risks that are here are dividing our minds. So here in verse 6, he says, be anxious for nothing. It's interesting. That is in the present active imperative. So that is a commandment. He is saying, I command you, stop worrying about even one thing. Now, that sounds unreasonable to me. Uh, That sounds almost naive. It sounds idealistic. Uh, I don't really like it. Um, Personally, every morning I take two medications to manage my anxiety. Uh, I don't like it. I don't want to take them. It makes me angry that I have to. Uh, I have found that if I don't, my mind becomes even more divided than it currently is. That, uh, that, that those kind of medications are not the solution to my problem, but they aid and abet my recovery from the anxiety I do experience. They are helpful, but they're not the solution. So I have, in the, the last 12 years or so, uh, man, tried to manage this as best as I can. Uh, so, but recently, in, in the last few years, I have been trying to apply this, this scripture to my life with, uh, as, as the journey with God often is, uh, a variety of results and learning a lot about myself. Uh, so if we go back to the scripture, he says, be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious about even one thing. Then he says, but... Now, but he's pivoting. He's shifting his focus. He's saying, don't do this. Do this instead. And that's a, that's a powerful contrast because in that we find the solution to the problem. If the problem is anxiety, then the solution to that is replacing it with something else. Now, we find instruction for this in 1 Peter 5, verse 7 which uh, this, is, this is a great prescription for dealing with anxiety. And he says, casting all your care upon him, Jesus, because he cares for you. Casting. Uh, casting your care. The thoughts that divide the mind is what that means there, that you cast them. Uh, Howard Hendricks uh, was a seminary professor in, at Dallas Theological Seminary. And he was in a time of profound depression and anxiety with his work. And so when he would drive home from work, he, he had this sort of image in his mind of, I, I can't keep taking this stuff home with me. This is ruining my family life. And so in his mind, he would go to the very last stop sign before, his, before he'd reach home, and he would stop, and he would roll down the window And he would take this imaginary briefcase that was filled with everything that he was anxious about. And he would cast it next to the the stop sign. 
Because he would tell himself, I can't do anything about any of that right now. If I take it home with me, it'll just divide my mind. It'll, it'll drive me crazy. It'll drive my family crazy. So that's what he began to do. It helped him tremendously. And every morning he would drive to that, that, that stop sign and he would grab, pick up that uh, briefcase and go back to work to deal with it. He said that really helped him manage uh, his anxiety better. See, the thought here is you redirect your energy to replace your anxiety. And so the, we look to the scriptures and ask sort of with what? Uh, if you look at most of the, uh, webs, web, the websites that talk about how you deal with anxiety, at most they talk about how you can manage it. Uh, but the Bible here is making it sound like that, that uh, there is a way to stop it altogether. Now, that's an interesting thought. So he says, with what? With prayer. And first of all, this, this idea of prayer, uh, the word prayer in, the, in this, the general word in the New Testament in the Greek, prosukomai, but it is often translated worship or devotion, or to bend the knee. So basically it's saying, when you catch yourself worrying, worship. Now when we think of worship most of the time here, we think about coming to church in this worship center and going to a worship service, and most of the time we are singing. Uh, well, i got to tell you, I'm, I'm not much of a singer that uh, if you were to put a microphone up to my up to my mouth while I was just out there singing, what what's coming out is not an intelligible language. Okay, and uh, I take some solace in knowing that there are at least fifty to seventy five other people in here that are doing the same thing. Okay, now what the others of you may not know about is that. We have our own Facebook group because we want to encourage each other. And uh, last, last week, uh, I got a text from somebody that's, that said, the way that you mumbled that last song, it deeply touched my heart. You know, I find that, uh, <laughs> that I'm a lousy singer, basically. Uh, Interestingly enough, I was at the, the King the King Ranch years ago. I was uh, bow hunting with a friend, and we saw absolutely nothing. And my friend came out, and he was carrying this small New Testament with a camouflage cover. Some of you may have seen those before. Uh, and he, he looked at me, and he said, Why is it that when I'm out here that I can read the, the Bible and it takes on a true and real meaning to me. And when I pray and talk to God, it's just so much more meaningful than when I do so at home. And that, that sort of began a, a conversation about what kind of environment is best for, for us to worship God in. And it's a great question for you. Because I believe that it's the responsibility of every believer to figure out, how do I best worship the great God of the universe? And if it's not singing, then what else is it? 
You know, I find that I worship best when I'm outside in creation. And so oftentimes I will go to the Brushy Creek Trail. And the wonderful thing about that is they have all these offshoot trails where you literally can step off the concrete of suburbia and into the woods. And they're really decent trails. And you're suddenly, you're just out of Cedar Park and Austin and Round Rock. You're just away from it all. And uh, I put my earphones in. And I'll turn on some worship music. A lot of it's like what we listen to here. And uh, I know some of you don't, you might want to worship to something else. So you might want to listen to the, uh, the you know, Bill and Gloria Gaither uh, or uh, Skillet, which is a Christian rock band. You may like them better in your ears. Uh, or maybe the Oak Ridge Boys sing every hymn known to mankind. Those might be the things you might be interested in. I just like what we do here. And I'll listen to that. I'll listen to a, a sermon, a podcast. But it's a time for me to replenish myself and get my heart tuned in to listen to what God has to say to me. I have to get out. I have to get in the woods. And I have to be moving and, and really listening. And sometimes I'll just take, take out the headphones and I'll just say, Lord, what do you have to say to me today? Now, it's interesting, when I had my earphones in one time, and I had some worship music on, it was, and, uh, it was a song, and I, I, found, I sometimes find myself singing out loud. Have you ever listened to somebody sing when it's just them? They're the only ones that can hear what's going on in their ears? I mean, oh boy. And so, I must have been really hitting a, a high note, because out of nowhere, this couple comes running out, and they're like, are you okay? And they've, they've got their fanny packs off in their hands, which you know, I can't believe we're wearing fanny packs again, uh, since they were still wearing them in the 70s, I think. And they had, I think they had their first aid stuff with them. And my first thought was, oh, they want to join the safety team. <laughs> That's great. So the next thing they said was, uh, we heard you screaming and we thought it was a mountain lion. I love my sense of humor. <laughs> my family's not a big fan of my sense of humor. So I sit at home oftentimes and just laugh. <laughs> that's, one, that's one of those kind of moments right there. <laughs> now, we all have to find the best way for us to worship the great God of the universe. We have to find the best way to focus on, on God. Get your, your thoughts of worry and doubt need to be shoved off uh, as we focus on God. It's super important. Here's why it's important. Worship and worry cannot coexist in the same heart. They are mutually exclusive. So if you start worshiping, you'll find that worry, worry begins to diminish. And if you start worrying again, you'll find that your focus on God and worship will, will just diminish as well. So do, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything prayer, which also means worship. And then supplication. Supplication means to beg. 
to plead humbly, to cry out, to get on your knees and ask God, here's what I need. Here's, please help me with these things. And then there's supplication with thanksgiving. Is that we need to thank God for His availability to us. We've got to thank God that, that He cares and that he, he wants to connect with us. He wants to interact. He wants to be available to us to help us deal with the issues that we are walking through in life. Now, you might find that you go, you know, I don't experience that very much. Well, what you may be missing, and I missed this for years, is there's a protocol here. That it's not, you know, in the, if we look at the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, the, Jesus, his instruction to them was not, our Father who art in heaven, give us our daily bread. That's not where he goes first. He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then we talk about, Lord, this is what I need. We, re- we, we offer respect. We offer reverence. We worship him first. Always. 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 We always worship. We don't just say, you know, Lord, please help me. I'm going to fail this test. You know, that's, that rarely works. Um, you know, the, the protocol, it's interesting. Protocols are important. You see, there's a way things work in the world, and God has his own economy for the way things work. And sometimes we have to do things in a sense of order. Now, if protocol, and if you go to England and you go see the royal family, uh, protocol is important there. Like, I can't just walk up to the Queen of England and say, give me a high five. Backside. I mean, I'd be, I'd be buried under the Tower of London if I did that. We don't get, I mean, that's not the way things work. There is a process. There is a protocol. And so we, we learn that we, we cast our cares. We, we're not anxious about anything. We know that's a commandment. And everything by prayer and supplication that we, we, we walk with God through this. We lay, lay it out. He does not want just a general prayer of God. You know, help me with all my problems. I mean, that's not what he's interested. He wants to interact. He wants to hear what you have to say about what's going on in your life. God is an intimate person who desires to understand what's going on with us. That's that's who he is. The uh, the Hebrew word yadi yad is an interesting one. It mean, yod means hand. And so yadi yod means hand to hand, hand in hand. But yod can also mean heart. So it's hand in hand and heart in heart is how God wants to walk with us. It's how, how much he wants to love us. It's how he wants us to get to the point where we can experience that peace that passes all understanding. So...
Here's, here's that promise in verse 7. We Basically, we if we're stuck in verse, verse 6, getting to verse 7 is so, so important. It says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So, on March 9th, I had a major heart attack. Now, it's, it's interesting that... Uh, that if, if you were to learn, you know, our, our story of how we responded to my chest pain and, you know, the things you're supposed to do when you feel chest pain, uh, we would be a case study for everything you don't do because we thought I was having acid reflux. And so Pam was giving me, here, drink this baking soda. Here's some apple cider vinegar to try. You know, this will calm things down. And, I, and, and finally, when, when the pain got bad enough and they were saying, well, you're, you're rolling on the floor here, I guess we ought to take you to the hospital. Uh, so the next part of that was, you know, was, we were very casual with it. It was like, well, let me brush my teeth first. And then driving there, Pam asked me, do you want me to take the toll road? I mean, I'm in excruciating pain at this point. But we're just assuming it's not a heart attack. It's just I got bad gas. So I guess so we get there and the ER doctor and they do do what they do. They took an X-ray and things like that. And the ER doctor looks at me and says, "You don't have acid reflux. Uh, you're suffering a major heart attack right now." So the cardiologist is on his way, and so they were they, they prepped me for surgery, and uh, you know and. That's the point at time when suddenly praying in everything, in everything, because you want to pray about everything at that point. Because when you're facing, I may not live through this. Uh, your mortality becomes, creates great urgency and some anxiety. And, and you suddenly it's like, how can I cover all my bases that I need to cover uh, in praying and interacting with my family and things like that. And you kind of don't know what to do with yourself. And they get you on a gurney and they wheel you back there and I barely get to kiss Pam goodbye. I think that, and I don't, I just don't know. And I, I'm about to go through the operating room doors on the gurney. And uh, they, they'd given me morphine, which helped me some. It basically helped me to say, I may die, but at least I'm in a good mood. <laughs> but I, but as we go through, I experienced something else, uh, and that was this peace fell upon me. Basically, it was, you know, I got this impression, this sense that Everything's going to be okay. And it's interesting, Pam and my son Jake and Molly, they, and they all experience the same thing. What I didn't know that was going on uh, at home was that my, my oldest, Molly, who's serving in Southeast Asia, and Jake, who was here, got on the phone, and they're talking to each other. And they, they prayed for me. And they prayed, Lord, give Dad the peace that he needs. Uh, and they also prayed, uh, give dad a new heart. Because 
my cardiologist was very, he had a lot of things. He, he was really worried about the, the heart damage I might be having because we waited so long to get to the hospital. You don't wait, folks. If you're having one, you just go. Call an ambulance. You go. Because, and so they were very concerned for me. And so a uh, cardiologist, this nurse comes in and says, uh, he cannot believe that you don't have any damage to your heart. And so the Lord really worked in that way as we experienced this peace that everything's going to be okay. It's, a, it's an interesting thing that's very hard to experience. And I want to say a side note on that is that there is so much power in intercessory prayer because that's what was going on there. Is my kids were interceding on my behalf. To intercede means to stand in the in the gap uh, on behalf of another before God. Uh, I've seen so much life change, especially in the area of the way I manage my life and my mental health through meeting with others and praying about what's going on and for them to intercede for me and for me to intercede for them. Uh, If you're stuck in your life, if you're like, man, I don't have any peace. I don't, you know, I just see trouble and hurt and anxiety as far as I can see ahead. Then I want to strongly suggest to you that you find one, two, or three people that you can trust that you believe are are, are, are that are believers that follow Jesus, and ask them, would you would you join me in this? Would you help me? Would you intercede for me? Would you pray for me? Would, can we meet together? I mean, I've got a couple of friends that uh, that Skype or FaceTime each other because they live so far away from them. But they have regular appointments where they will pray with each other via FaceTime. There, these days there are no limitations for finding someone that you can intercede with and for. The, that will bring an incredible change in your life. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds through life Jesus. Guard your minds through life, Jesus. So that's the role of the peace of God. So picture a guard, a sentry, a Roman sentry. Paul, when he's writing this, is in prison uh, in Rome. So he's surrounded by a garrison of, of, of guards. And uh, he's got a spear, a shield, uh, and he's standing at the gate. Well, in this role, he's... You know, basically, it's, it's I am the peace of God, and I'm standing at this gate, and I'm not letting any in any disruption to the peace this person's experiencing. The peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will stand garrison. And if uh, stand garrison over your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now. I don't want to sound sound like this This is just easy or snap. It never is. There's a lot of resistance to things like this that we deal with. Um, it's a process, and it's something you have to practice. Uh, but it's much better to give things like this a try than to just give up on prayer. The question you may have is, when do I do this? How do I practice this protocol? Uh, and 
how do you make Philippians 4, 6, and 8 so that it's not just another nice-sounding verse, so that it's something you truly experience in your life? Well, the answer is uh, right away. Smack dab in the midst of your deepest, darkest, most heinous sin that you, believe, that you pretend like nobody knows about and that God doesn't see. That's when you do it. You do it in the morning. You do it, you do it throughout the day. You do it in the evening. You, you do it whenever because the peace that is offered is so much more wonderful than the anxiety that is proffered by this, by this world we live in. See, I believe that Jesus stands in your path with the invitation for those who struggle with anxiety, who struggle with a divided mind, and he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. I believe that he stands upon a hill like he did when he stood above Jerusalem, and he says, Oh, how I wish I could bring them to my chest like a hen cuddles her brood. But they would not come. And so we live in a time where Jesus, the offer of Christianity has come. Come and experience. Francis Thompson wrote a poem called The Hound of Heaven. And the Holy Spirit is like a bloodhound who is always in pursuit of those who are wandering away from him. See, Jesus is always in pursuit of you always reaching out, forever desiring that you will hear his voice and answer his call. The, the Hebrew word naham uh, means to rue or to regret or to repent. It's a word laden with emotion. One writer says that when, when you say it, it almost sounds like a sigh of relief. Naham, naham, repent. Repenting is turning around. Repenting is doing the 160. But the three, the, the, uh, the 180, sorry. Oh, boy. Somebody smacked me in the face. Um, see, we need to turn to God in the relief that He forgives those who turn their hearts again and again and again to the great love of the God of the universe. See, He understands our human condition. He knows that we are prone to wander, and uh, he wants to welcome us home. See, every time we turn our hearts toward him, every time we turn our hearts, he pushes back the darkness a little bit. He uh, pushes back the darkness of our flesh, the effects of the darkness of this fallen world, the, uh, the darkness of the evil one. And I speculate in a room this size, there are some of you that believe that Satan, uh, you fear Satan more than you fear God. And what you don't understand is that Jesus, uh, the name of Jesus makes the darkness tremble. The name of Jesus silences fear, silences doubt, silences worry. This morning... Begin to practice the protocol of worshiping rather than worrying. Authentic worship and worry cannot coexist in our minds at the same time. That is huge. Find your way, the best way that God can show you for you to worship, 
that's unique to you, that helps propel you into a mindset where you can connect with the great God of the universe. The offer is always there. The offer of Christianity, of the gospel, is not to become a moral person. The offer of Christianity is freedom. We begin verse 6 with anxiety, uh, but we leave verse 7 in peace. And I think that's an invitation to walk with God in a new way. Uh, many of us are at peace with God, but we, uh, we know little of the peace of God because we are at peace with God, but we don't experience the peace of God. The peace with God is that you have surrendered to God. You believe that he died for you on, on the cross, that he has sacrificed his blood for your sin, that he has bridged the gap between you and God. That's, that's what Jesus has done. You know, the peace uh, with God is very different than the peace of God. The peace, peace of God is uh, an experience that comes out of knowing him and walking with him on a regular basis. And that's the invitation that I want to present to you today. See, the next time I feel bad and I want to feel better, where will I turn my attention? Will I binge watch Netflix? Will I bury myself in social media? Or look, look on the Internet at other things that we know we're not supposed to be looking at? In his book, The Road Less Traveled, M. Scott Peck suggests that every person that struggles with addiction is just looking for a little piece of heaven. But I believe that we all are looking for peace, and that offer is there for, for us all. Mm-hmm.